Hello and welcome to the Cigar Cast, your weekly one-stop shop for all things cigar-related, including industry news, reviews, and everything in between. We're recording live from outside Mission Cigar and Social here in Spring Hill, Tennessee. I'm one of your hosts, Trey Devin, and I'm joined as I am every week by the man blowing more hot air than this Tennessee day, Mr. Shane Reeves. You know... Even if, if y'all hear a little wind, I apologize in advance. If you hear traffic, I apologize in advance. But this is an 80-degree day. It is. In March. <laughs> yeah, Early in March. March. And I'm not going to spend that sitting inside when I can sit outside and have a cigar. No. In fact, I got here early today because none of my afternoon meetings required me to be on camera, so I was able to slip out. And, and I spent most of my afternoon out here. Yeah, it's just, it's wonderful. I've got them talking about getting the cover put over this. Yeah. And all because that, you know, it'd be a great move. It'd increase their seating capacity without increasing their rent. Right. So it'd be hard to beat doing that. But let's light our cigars, and then I got to tell y'all all about the hog hut. All right. And what I'll, are you smoking? So I'm going to be smoking the Perdomo 12 year old vintage, Nicaraguan, Nicaraguan Puro, like all Perdomos. Um, this is the barrel age. Now, the 12-year, I don't think I've ever, I don't know if I've ever smoked a Perdomo on the show. Uh, I think you have, but it's been a while. Well, the 12-year is the hardest one to get. Yeah. This is their premium one, and um, a little inside baseball. You notice when you come in the humidor, the Perdomo's in a new spot. Part of their requirements, they wanted us to buy the lot 23, and we didn't want to add another facing. You guys have a lot of Perdomo in that humidor already. Yeah, we already had plenty of facing. So we've been going back and forth with Perdomo for a while. And finally, they said, okay, you give us this position in the humidor, we'll give you the 12-year. So we negotiated that, and they came. And Rob, and to his credit, our rep, Rob, he came in, he organized the shelf how he wanted it. Everything like that up, set everything up according to the Perdomo schematic and all that. But in spite of all that, I mean, this 12, it's it's a great Perdomo. It really is. And the thing, it, it's funny because I think I even commented uh, to somebody when I was in here the last time that it's always a game of, of find your cigar when you walk in that humidor because they rearrange that humidor more often than I think anybody else Although it makes sense now that you're telling me that story because it was it was right around the time that Perdomo moved to where it is now, so I'm assuming that's what was the the cat the the catalyst to all of the all of the rearranging. Now, is it is do you do it just because it's fun, or is it actually a good punch? Oh no, it's a terrible punch. I'll okay, because it's fun. All right, <laughs> I, I had a I'll, I'll explain that to, to the <laughs> listeners in a minute. Let me tell my story. Or talk about my cigar, rather. The Wise Man Maduro from Foundation. So I picked up a handful of these back around Christmas time when they had an event when John Graves came over to Big Boys and did their Christmas party. Did I ever tell you, did I mention on the show what they did for their, like, swag and stuff at that? Uh -uh. I've never seen another cigar shop do this, and I think it was brilliant. So typically... You know, you get four and one, you get eight and one plus a hat, you buy a box, you also get, you know, an ashtray, a lighter, blah, 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 whatever. Well, they did something similar, but because it was the Christmas party, it was, I think, four and one, eight and two, whatever. But if you buy a box, you get entered into the Dirty Santa. And so 
around 8 o'clock after everyone's had a chance to do their purchasing. And if you bought multiple boxes, I think you got an extra steal or, you know, you got some bit of it. And everyone, all of the swag becomes Dirty Santa. Oh, okay. I th- I've never seen another shop do that. It, it, it's a way to make you have to be here to win something that people want to stick around for. And it was just a lot of fun. But uh, so this is the Wise Man Maduro. Uh, this is the Toro six by fifty six. It is uh, Mexican San Andreas wrapper over Jalapa Corojo binder and filler from Nicaragua. And you know I'm just not a foundation guy, and it, it's sad as much as I like John because I think he's a great guy, and I think he's an outstanding cigar rep. Their product just is not my product. You know, I can I can understand that. It's it's a particular flavor profile. I really like it. I do think they could stand to be about a buck fifty cheaper. I think I would smoke a lot more of them if that were the case. But I do really like it. Well, and they are a cigar people request. Mm-hmm. People ask now. Usually, they just ask about the tabernacle. Which is, of course, the hardest one to get. But I think this one's better, personally. Yeah. For, for me, I think the Wise Man is better than the Tabernacle. And it's just because it's very, very chocolatey. The Tabernacle tastes skunky to me. Yeah, I can see that. It's always had that skunky, and all, which I didn't know that that's what weed smelled like until see, I was I in Las Vegas. I wouldn't go that far in the comparison, but I understand what you mean. I have a very limited, you know, it wasn't until Mark and I were in Las Vegas and we're walking down the street and he said, somebody's smoking weed. And I said, is that what that smell is? Because I've, I've just, I've never been around it. Yeah. Just just never been my thing. But it's that kind of skunkiness that, you know, old beer, weed, and that, that skunkiness that stuff gets that I don't like that yeah, the Tabernacle I've, I've has. I've never experienced that with, with the Tabernacle, but... I can understand if there's a if there's a flavor profile in there that you like if you that you don't like how you could kind of pull those similarities out. So what I was referencing a moment ago, I think we're all well aware of of how you spent last weekend. I've seen the pictures online. Shane brought the tusks of his fallen boar to use as a as a cigar punch. I was. Ex- I'm surprised you didn't like file it down or at least make it a little sharp. Well, I've thought about on the big ones on the top, the flat ones, seeing if I could get an insert for a punch. Yeah, you know, maybe take a part of an old punch and put an insert in there or something. I bet you could do that. I bet I could work something like that. That may have to be on the second board. Do you have any friends that are dentists that could give you some of that dental epoxy? To oh, that set would it be, in that with? would be the thing to have. Yeah, that'd be the thing to do. <laughs> Go to my dentist. Hey, did hey. Here's what I need. I need a filling. Wait. (laughs) (laughs) Trust me, this will be the easiest filling you've ever done. You need a vice (laughs) and no anesthetic. (laughs) (laughs) So went to Spartans Hunting Preserve in Crossville, Tennessee. It's actually in Grandview, Tennessee, but it's just outside Crossville is the big town. And so much better than I ever thought it would be. Really? I mean, we, you know... I'm I'm used to this poor dude hunting, right. you know, where you go out and you kill a deer and you drag it back to the truck and you skin it yourself and then you take it home and you handle the processing and all that stuff and you get out of the whole deer, you know, for 20 or 30 bucks worth of material and 
two thousand dollars worth of time. Right. <laughs> you can you can get a deer processed. Right. And also, this was my first foray into. I hate to call it rich guy hunting. I. But, yeah, I mean, I get that uh, guided hunting. Uh, yeah, and so what we did is we got up there. Everybody, hold on. There's an ambulance driving by. I don't. I don't think it's coming through nearly as loud as we think it is. Lord, I hope not. Um, so now, while everybody's deaf on the other side, I just didn't want there to be ten seconds of dead air on the podcast. So basically, the guide comes and they take you to the stands. And these stands, these shooting houses, are nicer than homes a lot of people live in. Really, they're beaded board ceilings, you know, high quality vinyl floor, stained shooting rails, sliding windows. I mean, big overstuffed comfortable chairs and all and. It's like the guy told us. He said, the big hogs ain't going to come by the blinds. Right. That's how they got to be the big hogs. Right. He said, so what I'll do is I'm going to put y'all in the blind, and I'll go start scouting some wallers and some food sources and things like that. And when I find the hog, um, I'll come back and get you, and we'll go shoot it. So he asked what we wanted, and I said, I want a black one. I said, I don't want it to look. I shot, you know, Uncle Elmer's hog. <laughs> right. So I want, I want a black one. I want it to look like a wild boar. He said, okay, I can do that. The other two guys said, we don't care. We just want a mature boar, big tusks. So he came, left, came back about 15 minutes, said, all right, I've got a cream-colored one over here in the waller. Who wants it? Well, the guy with us, the older guy with us, David, he said, I'll take it. He goes up there. 20 minutes later, we hear the shot. We hear the squeal, hog down. Comes back. God says, okay, I'm going to go looking some more comes back about an hour. Now, during this time, you're not just sitting there in the stand goofing off. One, I do think they could improve the experience if they allowed smoking in the shooting houses. Yeah. But they don't. So, and it's, and it's their right. Yeah. We'll talk about that later in the show. Um, but during the time, you know, we had a little and a little 300 pounder come walking by. Of course, nobody wants to waste a bullet on, you know, right. a mere 300 pounder when you're there. <laughs> and then, Now, is it, is it one and you're done? Yeah. It's okay. one and done. And then we have fallow deer come by, and they walked, had a fallow deer lay down right next to the stand, and some of the other They've guys... They've probably gotten used to the fact that they're safe there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this time of year, so you only hunt the fallow deer during deer season. Right. So this time of year, the fallow deer, they ain't got nothing to worry about. They could care less. God comes back in about an hour. He said, yep, found one. He said, but it was chomping its teeth like there's another in there. So both of you come with me. So me and Jonathan both go up there, and I showed you. That's, the, that's a man that knows his quarry. Yeah, yeah, he know he knew, and he knew how close to get to him without spooking him. So he could get back, right? So he could bring us back and put a stalk on him, and we put a good stalk on him. I mean, now this is, uh, I thought I was in pretty good shape. Yeah, but you throw a gun and gear on, and you go to hiking up the hills of Tennessee. Chasing wild boar, chasing a guy that doesn't... You get out of breath fast? Yeah, I I was sucking needles off of pine trees. I inhaled a squirrel. (laughs) I mean, there was just a a few little incidents like that. But to the guide's credit, he barely laughed. Well, that's good. (laughs) And we get to the top of the hill, and he said, all right, both of you catch your breath here. So we're both... (laughs) So we Well, like you said before the show, he's out there doing this every day of the week. Yeah. So he's, you know... Well, and you got to think, he is a graduate from the University of Tennessee with a mechanical engineering degree, and he found out he would much rather be out there chasing boars. Hey, that 
what's the old saying? You do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life. Yeah, and he's he's doing that. So we got up there, we shot a double, shot our hogs. So by ten o'clock, we're back at the cabin and all seventy one hundred square foot lodge. We're sitting there on the front porch, smoking cigars, drinking bourbon, waiting on the girls to tell us it's time to eat lunch. <laughs> And all the the guys go out there with the tractor. I never only time I had to touch the hog was to turn it just a little bit for the pitcher. <laughs> <laughs> and all so we're I mean, super great outfit. They bring the hogs in, they do all the field dress and everything. They bring them in, hang them in the walk-in cooler. After lunch, after everybody's got back, they start bringing them out. They hang them up, they clean them up. Everybody takes their pictures. Sends them to the processor that night. They send your cooler with them to the processor that night. Everything arrives fully processed, ready to go. And it's but it was a two day hunt, right? So yeah, it's a three day hunt, but we didn't need. To. So did you come home early, or did nah. you just? What do you spend the rest of your time doing? Smoking cigars, drinking bourbon. All right, waiting for them to tell you it's time to go. It's <laughs> <laughs> waiting for yeah. it's time for lunch. They they keep a fire pit burning there twenty four hours. Yeah, because it was a, a little cool. Yeah. Yeah, they keep their big fire pit burning there all the time. And there was us, and there was a group from Wisconsin. There was a group from Michigan. And we all just kind of sat there and talked and laughed and got to know each other and had a big time. I mean, it was it was as much fun as all the good parts of hunting with none of the bad. All right. So that was that was the excitement of the hog hunt, which I do have a couple of more stories that I'll sprinkle in. But all right. we probably ought to talk about a cigar story first. So, New Hampshire considers removing premium cigar exemption from tobacco tax. Is an article we'll talk about in a moment. STG, moving (laughs) Alec Bradley to Forge Portfolio. So, one of the things that happened while we were gone is STG, Scandinavian Tobacco Group, bought Alec Bradley cigars. Okay, first question. Did the price of $72.5 million for Alec Bradley, did that shock you? Not really, because the cost of businesses, successful businesses, never really surprises me anymore. Because I, I couldn't tell you what this shop is worth. I couldn't tell you what that discount tire franchise down the road is worth. I just, I have no eye for that sort of thing. But if you think about Alec Bradley being an internationally renowned brand that's been around for a while, they have really good ratings in Aficionado. They've got a good following. That, that doesn't surprise me. It surprises me. Um, This feels to me like one of those deals where STG called and said, Hey, Alec, we'd like to buy your company. What do you take for it? And he made a price that he didn't think they would take. You think he said $75 million? Yeah. They said, "Uh, we wasn't wasn't wanting to go over $72.5. We wasn't willing to go over $70. And he said, well, I'll split the difference with you and let it go. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So... That's that's the way this feels like. It feels like a deal where he priced it high. Because, I, I mean, surely we would have heard something if they were actively trying to sell Alec Bradley. Oh, I'm sure, they, I'm sure they weren't. I imagine, especially because it's such a round number, right? Now, it says roughly 72.5, so I'm sure it wasn't exactly. But it does, it does, not being such a round number does make me think there was a little negotiation here. There was a little more than just looking at the books and finding a buyer. What made, I would love to talk to somebody and find out, what made Alec Bradley the company they wanted to buy? What made that appealing to them? I think it fit, well, because they're rolling it under the Forge portfolio, which... 
doesn't really have anything. I mean, they've got Cohiba at the top of the line, but they don't really have anywhere for this. They don't have anything in this, what I would call mid-premium. So, you know, Alec Bradley cigars are, are shy of 20 a stick, but not by much. They're in that 16 range. They didn't really have a lot. They had that limited edition Partagas that was around that price range, but nothing core. So I think this fills their portfolio from a price standpoint. I guess. I guess. I mean, they they obviously understand the business far better than we do. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. The, one, the price surprised me. I would thought if you had asked me, you know, three weeks ago, what do you think Alec Bradley cigars is worth? I'd have said twenty-five, thirty million. Might have you might could have talked me into fifty, but I don't think it ever made me believe somebody paid seventy-two. Yeah, I mean they're in every cigar shop, just about. You know, except for the really super boutique places, they're everywhere, and they stay on the shelves, which means they've got people buying them. Uh, and they do really good limited editions like the fine and rare and, and things like they keep they keep the rotation on newer stuff fairly fairly fresh. So I can see, like I said, business valuation's not the kind of thing that I'm really good at, but this doesn't it's probably a little higher than I would have thought, but not not so much that I balk at that number. Well, I texted the day that I heard about it. I texted. I know the one of the reps that works, and he's a really, really good dude. Outstanding dude. For Alec Bradley or Forge? Yeah, for Alec Bradley. Really, really good guy. And I texted him and said, hey, seeing where the company got bought, he said, yeah, we found out this morning when you did. Yeah. Which, to me, makes me think far less of Alec Bradley. You have to do it that way. No, you don't. You absolutely have to do it that way. And as much as I, from, from an employee standpoint, I hate it. And, and I, I, I support and understand your position of, of it leaving a bad taste in your mouth. But the timing of those press releases are important for regulatory bodies. And, it, you know, you can't, if you give employees an opportunity to know there can be some insider trading which can compromise the deal there can be some press that leaks that all of those things you you when i was in college i was a bartender at a restaurant and we were all working right up until the moment they say hey emergency staff meeting tomorrow and i was i was closing that night so i worked until 11 o'clock finished my shift go home got drunk fell asleep walked in the morning hungover and we all were fired and they shut the business down. Like, and we were all, you know, understandably upset about losing our jobs. But at the same time, when you're a publicly traded company, when you're a big company like that, you you have to protect the the integrity of that. Well, so there's a couple of different. You're talk, it's a different animal. Yeah. The bar they have to fire you the day they close, because if not, every Tom, Dick, and Harry file workman's comp claim against them. They have to. They have to do it that way. They ha- it has to come out of nowhere. But also, that. you know, the the rep relationship in this business. Any rep can find another job with another company at the drop of a hat. And you have to, if they're planning on retaining the workforce and the sales force, they they have to make sure that they can deliver the message in a way that keeps them from losing their entire sales force in the process. Well, but all they had to do, and I guess I'm not talking about giving a month's notice. I'm talking about, hey, 9 o'clock, your phone rings. Hey, this is, this is your boss. And tomorrow they're going to announce that the company's been sold. 
keep it under your hat, but I wanted you to hear it from me. I didn't want you to read it on half wheel and then wonder what in the world's going on. Um, I think that's a far better way to do it. Yeah. I think but, the coming out of nowhere with it and them having to find out at the same time I found out, it's, that's not going to make anybody feel good. I mean, I get it. I, I the, the emotional aspect of it, I completely, you're exactly right. But I, having worked for companies that underwent this sort of thing, you, you know, oftentimes even your boss and sometimes your boss's boss finds out the same time you do. Well, when I worked at Jones Company, and um, they were selling the company, mm-hmm. they caught or they were selling the St. Louis division. They were keeping the Nashville division. They sold us all. Hey, emergency meeting this morning. The, all of us go in there. They said today at noon we'll be announcing to the St. Louis office that 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 has been sold. We're letting you all know so that you don't find out, you know, from anybody but us. We've decided to sell that division off. And anybody that calls St. Louis and says anything before noon's fired. And that was all they needed to do. Yeah. And then at noon, they made the announcement. And that was the... But it made us feel better because it's not like we all of a sudden, all of our phones lit up and it's the people we know in St. Louis saying, hey, but I got fired today. And then we yeah. all, you know, commenced to poop it yeah, out water. you also weren't the ones getting fired in that scenario, too. Or, right. or weren't experiencing the the big um, the big change, but anyway. Yeah. Okay, New Hampshire considers removing premium cigar exemption from tobacco tax. This is from Eddie Zoo, Eddie Zoo. Ed, yeah, Eddie Zoo. Newsbreak, local news and alerts. No I idea. Um, Concord, New Hampshire. New Hampshire legislators are considering a bill to remove, basically taking the premium cigar exemption. I didn't know anybody already had a premium cigar exemption. We actually talked about this on the show last year. Okay. Um, they were the first to do it. And we, we actually talked, because I don't remember, now it doesn't say it in this, uh, it doesn't say it in this article, but I remember us being in favor of the way they defined a premium cigar. Well, so this was my complaint about TPE. I covered this in the last show. I think TPE is a terrible idea. I don't think any cigar company should go to TPE. I don't think... We, I think if you want a premium cigar exemption, then be don't be hanging around vape. Don't be hanging around cigarettes. Don't be hanging around the adult toy industry, which was at TPE. Don't, was it really? Oh, yeah. Don't be hanging around all of that stuff. If you wish to be a cut above that, then act like it. Um, first and foremost and the I would say the most important thing to the survival of the premium cigar industry going forward is the premium cigar exemption yeah and well and like you say separation from and and you have to prove what makes you different it, not just in your product but in the way you conduct yourself and I, and I agree with you on that yeah, so here they are. They're trying to repeal this because they need more revenue. I think these jokers would learn how to live off what they make. Um, and I don't believe their numbers. They're talking about making a million four eighty-seven five forty-nine to apply a the tobacco tax rate to cigars. Estimated re- revenue increase of nine hundred sixty-seven thousand dollars. I don't believe. Are they selling that many cigars in New Hampshire? I, uh, you know, that's a really good question. 
I mean, unless they're going to just impose a draconian tax on cigars. Which it could that. be. It doesn't actually say what the tobacco tax is for other types of tobacco that are not exempted by the premium cigar piece here. Eddie, you, you got some editing to do. You got some work here. We need background. Yeah, and we probably we probably have we probably can't cast that aspersion too hard because probably should have looked this up on multiple sources. Yeah, we probably info. should have. But anyway, so New Hampshire they're considering removing the premium cigar exemption. I don't think this will pass. I hope it doesn't, but we'll keep you updated and let you know. So, on to another piece of legislative foolishness. Um, I'm going to have this rant about it, and then we'll go to break so I can calm down. All right. Mexico bans smoking in public. Now, we did talk about this a little bit last week or two weeks ago. Well, I talked about it in the realm of beaches. They were talking about making it illegal to smoke on beaches. But now they basically said the only place to smoke Mexico is inside private homes or private outdoor spaces. What is a private outdoor space? My back porch? Your back porch, if the resort you're staying at has a dedicated smoking area out by one of the pools on private property, that sort of thing. I go back to what I said before. I can't believe Mexico is spending time on this. I would imagine the people, much like in this country, the, I would imagine the people spending their time on this probably aren't the same people in charge of reigning in the cartels. Well, who is? I, <laughs> I mean, there needs to be somebody. And the, I cannot imagine, if I had Mexico's problems, spending one second worrying about who's smoking it also does seem weird, too, when you consider that this is not just a change in, in the way they approach tobacco. It's also one of the most draconian smoking bans in the world now. I think only Singapore is more, and that's smoking is just banned all right. Can you, can you forget a cigar? Yeah, prob- it, it's something like that. That's, I mean, they're, they're famous for their, their strict... Have you ever had a cigar so good you took a caning for it? No. I don't know. I've, I've watched a lot of wrestling and seen a lot of canings. I might take what a do, mediocre caning. What does the person pedron. doing the caning look like? Well, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, Can but, I have the cigar after instead? Can we do a preemptive <laughs> caning? <laughs> but Well, obviously, you, you would want to have the caning before because the last thing you'd want to do is have the caning after and it not have been a great cigar. Exactly. So, but I just can't believe, you know, one, this is... Uh, do you think this affects tourism? I don't know. I think we're going to have to wait and see what the resorts do. Because, and, and I talked about this a little bit in regards to the beaches. So in the U.S., and I can only speak to this because I don't know what Mexican law is, but in the U.S., even if your private property is adjacent to the waterline, you don't own the beach. Right. You can't keep people off of your beach. You, can't, you don't own that. If, in Mexico, you can actually own the beach to the waterline, then that becomes a, p- a private outdoor space. And you can therefore, if you're a resort who decides to allow it, you can allow smoking on the beach or in other areas. Now, if we see these resorts, which are oftentimes owned by Marriott and Hilton and some, and some of the bigger players, if they use this as an excuse to say, okay, well, now we're completely tobacco-free also, 
then we're going to have some issues with tourism, I'm sure of it. Uh, if instead they go the other route and say, okay, we legally, there are some things, restrictions here, but we've given you your space, it might actually be better for the people who do that. I reference this back to what the initial article said. There's going to be a lot of cops, crooked, crooked oh, Mexican yeah. cops, getting bribes for people that they catch smoking a cigarette. Oh, for sure. With, without a doubt. I don't think anybody... Which is definitely not going to increase tourism in Mexico. No. You know, you think about it. I get shook down by a police officer for 100 bucks because he catches me with a cigar. I'm never going back there ever again under any condition. Yeah. And I, You also have the option not to smoke. You do have the option not to smoke, but if I'm on vacation and I want to enjoy a cigar, I want to be able to... But I'm not, going to, I'm not going back to Mexico anyway because of this rule. Yeah. I'm just not going to take that, that I just, chance. I just don't know how many people that'll affect if it'll have a big impact on tourism. I think, I think you and I tend to discount the, the nature of the fact that so many people actually agree with these smoking bans. They don't want to be around smoking. I don't think it'll impact tourism for the majority of people. Probably not. Probably, we're, we're definitely, as smokers, a minority. Yeah. And uh, we'll, we'll step away for a break. When we get back, we're going to talk about the house sparring over cigars and good old whiskey mold. All right, we'll be right with more after this. Welcome back to the Cigar Cast. This is one of your hosts, Shane, sitting across from the Renaissance man, Trey Dedman. Knowing that you just looked that up, I'm I'm assuming that's a compliment. Okay, so, so I've been called this before too. Yeah, I got I've been called this by a couple of people, and I always wondered, kind of, okay, is that a compliment? Is that a misnomer? Is it what is what is a Renaissance man? So the um, Merriam-Webster's Renaissance man definition is simple. A person who has a wide interest and is an expert in several areas. Okay, that's kind of, that's what I would have said if you had pressed me for a definition. You know, I've got four things I know really well. Right. I know professional wrestling, I know home building, I know cigars, and I know Bigfoot. And those are four things I know really well. So is four enough? Well, but I think it goes beyond that is hunting and firearms, pocket knives, you know, you've got you've got a wide range of things that you that you have. Uh, I, th- I think what it doesn't necessarily always have to be expertise. It can also be wide and varied interest too. Because, like, I look at myself. You know, uh, like an interest in in Formula One racing, but I also crochet and sew, and I can build stuff with my hands, and I can I work on my car, and I. And yeah, cigars and and IT stuff. I can tell you anything that about your computer. You know, it's and I'm I'm close to an expert in a lot of those things. But really, I think it's just the when you have multiple hobbies or interests that sometimes seem juxtaposed. So, what defines an expert? What would you define as being an expert? Um, is it just a simply an above average knowledge? Is it a if you and I have a conversation about something and I walk away having learned something. Okay. 
just the ability to co- to convey the knowledge. Well, I mean, yes, but I don't think you have to be a good teacher to be a Renaissance man. I think really it comes that more often than not, unless you're talking to a bona fide expert in something, you are the person in the conversation with the most knowledge. Yeah, I mean, I can I can hold my own with anybody on wrestling or Bigfoot or houses, you know, with cigars. I can I can hold my own with pretty well anybody on those. And then once you get outside those, and but I do think there is also an element to being an expert, to being able to present the information. You know, one of the guys that's here, he is brilliant. He's a great historian. He's very intelligent. But the way he presents his knowledge does not make anybody want to listen. Yeah, I think, I think that's, I think part of the, maybe the unspoken piece of Renaissance mandom is somebody you would also want to be around. You know, if, if you can't convey your thoughts, and I'm, I'm not doing a very good job of it right now. But if, if you can't convey your knowledge in a way that somebody, A, is able to receive it or wants to receive it, I think that kind of hurts your your standing as a Renaissance man. Yeah, I think... You can't be condescending. Yeah, you don't want to be just yelling out into space right. what you know. You don't want to be what we're doing here. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know. It was interesting. I just happened to be thinking about that and what is a Renaissance man. And I guess that's, that, that is, I like the simplicity of the definition. It's a, I would have thought the definition had been a lot more complicated than that. So I do like the simplicity of that, de, that definition. And I'll probably bat that ideal around the cigar shop a little right. bit in the next couple of days and kind of see where we're at with that. So running back, let's finish up this little legislative thing here. Um, House spars over cigars. Charlton, West Virginia. And basically what Charleston was talking about was, are we going to make it where you can legally have a cigar lounge at your resort, at your vacation area? That Can you legally be able to do that? Why do they, why is this in the house? Why is this an issue? So, I mean, your notes on this were just let the market decide. And, and in, in general, I agree with that. I think... Part of this comes from, I know, that, so the term resort applies not just to casinos and racetracks, but essentially any hotel. So I would be curious to know, given how heavily regulated casinos and racetracks are, if if there's a certain amount of, like if, if the land is on like special loan from the city or if there's any sort of... Uh, local or government funds that help support or subsidize the endeavor if it then makes it, in their mind, a government issue. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, I think everything should be treated like a private business. And if the government happens to be the business that owns the establishment, they can set the rules they want, but they should keep their nose out of it um, grown-ass men don't need protected from their self. Right. And I think that's where, you know, it goes back to the thing. Legislators just want to legislate. Yeah. It's a terrible, terrible thing that they start making up stuff to do just so they'll have stuff to do. And I think that's what this is. And, again, we're back to tourism. Um, 
you know, if we're looking at two two different resorts and we see a resort, this one has a cigar lounge, this one doesn't, we're going to the one that does. Right. Now, is the reverse true? If somebody's looking at a resort and they say this one has a cigar lounge, this one doesn't, let's go to the one that doesn't? Yeah, I, I think it is. I You know, I can tell you, you know, growing up how often, you know, we would make decisions on, on where we went to dinner based on how good the non-smoking section at this place was compared to another. You know, delegates, uh, these two people, were among those concerned about subjecting employees to secondhand smoke, whether they were exposed voluntarily or involuntary. It's their choice. Has anyone ever died of secondhand smoke? It's never appeared on a single death certificate. Right. Nobody has ever died because... If secondhand smoke was as bad as people say it is, you or I, one, would know somebody who knew somebody right. that knew somebody who had died of secondhand smoke. We would, you know, six six degrees of separation. From somebody who had died of secondhand so, smoke. Yeah. Now, and especially, you know, having having a young kid at home, and every time you go to the doctor, that's one of the questions. Are they exposed to secondhand smoke at any point? And the reason they ask that is not so they can admonish and, and try and get, guilt someone into quitting. It's because it's a precursor for asthma in kids. That's the health risk. The health risk to secondhand smoke is that we there is actual empirical evidence that says kids brought up in a household where they're regularly exposed to secondhand smoke have a higher likelihood of, of contracting asthma. That's where it stops. For adults making a rational and controlled decision of their own it's you can yeah there's nothing that says you have to go places where they allow smoke yeah that was one of the funny things on the boar hunt we're sitting there so we got done hunting and it started raining so we're sitting on in this lodge it's 7100 square foot and it's got probably 4,000 square foot of porches covered on the outside with little tables. Yeah. And so we're all sitting around there smoking cigars, and we'd been smoking cigars pretty much all day and drinking bourbon. One of the guys from Wisconsin walks up. He says, do y'all smoke cigars like this all the time or just on vacation? And David says, all the time. <laughs> so that, that did, was one did of the Did he fun. ask for one at that point? Or? No, he, he, we, offered, we offered everybody there. Of course, we had a cigar rep with us. I never, never travel without a cigar rep. That's right. Uh, we had a cigar rep with us that had plenty of cigars. Anybody wanted them. And uh, what, what other story from the, from the boar hunt that I have to tell? Okay. So we arrived Sunday. We got our briefing. They have a boar, fully boar stuffed there in the lobby. And he has a green laser and he walks you through. Here's where you want to shoot. Here's what this is going to do. Here's where this is going to be. Here's the shots to take. Here's the shots not to take. You know, walks us through very thoroughly, regardless of what level of hunter you are, he walks you through very thoroughly how to make an ethical kill on this animal, which I I admired. Yeah. Admired. And even the guide carried a big green laser with him. And when he found the hog, he took that laser and put it, said, there's the spot you want to hit it. And so just um, very, very ethical going through all that. So... That revs my engine up. Well, Sunday night, we all finally go to bed. We sit around by the fire pit and smoke cigars. And that night, we finally go to bed. Man, I'm just, I'm, I'm vibrating. I'm so excited. Yeah. I can't hardly stand it. So 3 a.m., I wake up, and I know there's no going back to sleep. 
So I bounce up out of bed, slip out and go over to the cafeteria area. And so from three o'clock in the morning, I'm sitting there. I've got my, my um, sports drink that I drink in the morning. It's 358 milligrams of caffeine. So I drink that. And then about five, some of the other guys get up and we make a pot of coffee and I drink a half a pot of coffee. And I'm sitting there watching hunting shows right. surrounded by all these mounts. You're I mean, getting revved up. Oh, man, I am, I am so excited. I can't contain myself. We eat breakfast. The moment comes. Put our guns on our shoulder. Walking out. Guide walks up. Hi, I'm Glenn. I'll be your guide today. We're going to take that silver SUV or silver UTV right over there. I'm going to take you. I'm going to sit, you know, goes over the whole thing with us, exactly how everything's going to go. Very thorough, mm-hmm. professional once again. And he says, are there any questions? And David in my group says, raises his hand. God says, yes, what's your question? He said, I read a sign that if we give you a positive Google review, we get a free hat. <laughs> and I yelled, how could you ask that question right now? <laughs> the only time I had to yell at him the whole trip. I said, we're guns in hand. We're going to get, and you're asking about a free hat and a Google review? What the hell is wrong with you? Maybe save the Google review till after you've had the hunt. Perhaps we should finish up the hunt before we start talking about how to get our free hat. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Which I noticed you were wearing. So was it a good review? Oh, yeah. I gave it an excellent review. And another interesting thing. So when you do a Google review for them, you have to do it and take a picture of it, do a screenshot and send it to them because Google keeps tearing down their reviews. Oh, Google will take down their reviews and all because it's about hunting. Right. And then they have to contact Google and say, hey, why is this review come up missing? What does it violate? Put it back up. Yeah. You know, so forth and so on. Um, but, and he said, well, he said, any questions? I said, yes. But about I didn't ask, the hunt? I didn't ask him the distance from Earth to the moon. <laughs> <laughs> now, did you guys know that there was no cigar smoking in the shooting houses at that point? Or? No, we didn't. Now that uh, which would have would have been an adequate question to ask. Hey, can we? That's what we I thought you were going to say. The question was that that would have been. I would have accepted that question, but at that point, gun on my shoulder. <laughs> After you've been up for four hours at this yeah, point, been up for four hours, got enough caffeine in me. I just walk by the car and it cranks. <laughs> I mean, I'm practically vibrating into another dimension. I'm so excited. <laughs> And all, and he asks that of all things. That's funny. <laughs> but that was just one of those. And then the, I said that was the last story. One more. And then we're sitting in the stand. And one of the beautiful things about Spartan Lodge, you want to bring a non-hunter, bring him free. They handle feeding him. They got rooms. They say, please don't. And all they say is the most sensible thing in the world. Hey, don't abuse the privilege. Yeah. So one of our buddies that was going with us, his dad wanted to come. His dad didn't want to kill a hog, but he wanted to be with his son for this hunt and hang out with us and go all that. So David's going to kill his boar, and me and the other guy are sitting there in the stand, and we hear, and we're like, oh, man. So we're getting excited. We're, and we're, we're looking. We think, we think Hogzilla is coming over the ridge, man. We're getting binoculars out. We're getting guns unslung, propping up. Okay, I think he's going to go. And we're just really, really excited. And we're sitting there and no hog shows up. And we're like, what the heck? We're hearing. It was John breathing. 
<laughs> He's got a rasp. Yeah. <laughs> I thought, thought you were going to say he was snoring. <laughs> we thought King Hog was coming to get us and we were going to have to fend for ourselves. That's funny. <laughs> no, but all right. Avo announces Seasons Limited Edition 2023. Um, so Avo is going to do the Seasons thing. Cordoba Morales does the Seasons thing. Yeah, I think there's someone else that does too. Yeah, it's, got, it's kind of a simple game. Yeah, it makes it makes sense. I I love the packaging on this with the uh, acrylic mm-hmm. semi translucent cover. It, it's beautifully packaged. Yeah, and they're they're a perfecto, a six and five eighths by fifty. They're calling it a diadema. And I, I've heard that term before, and I know it means something, but it's not something I come across. What, call it a Solomon. Call it a Perfecto. Call it a Perfecto Gordo. Call it whatever you want, but don't make up stuff. No, it, that's uh, a. I I believe that's a a rather antiquated term for that size. Well, it's going to be a five, six and five eighths by fifty. Going to have an MSRP of eighteen dollars and four thousand boxes of ten cigars. All that's going to be made. The first one is an Ecuadorian Corojo wrapper, which and makes the, sense because it's green. Yeah, the binder and filler come from the Dominican Republic. Um, Go there. Just get it out of the way. Can I trust Avo? You know, how much... You'll have to remind me, because they burned us. It's been probably, what, three or four years now? Yeah, three or four years since they did the the release that was supposed to be four new cigars that they come out and admitted was just four cigars they still made. How much was the price difference? Um, this is competitive. I mean, it was still about the same price as the other ones. So I guess my question is, you know, because I've had some time with this, and I don't know that it was so egregious anymore. Now, if they charge an extra three bucks a stick for it, that's that's a pretty big deal. So I guess I guess what I'm saying is, do they make another eighteen dollar cigar? Like, if this turns out to be the Zeno Platinum, and you're getting basically the same cigar for about the same price. How much does it really matter? To me, it's a... One, it's an ethical issue. Okay. If you're going to sell me a new cigar, sell me a new cigar. And I agree with that. I, I'm, I'm on board. But I know you haven't smoked an Avo since. No, I've smoked a couple. Okay. And I'll actually have a... But I've smoked... I have a box of Avo Heritage um, Lanceros that I've been aging for about four years. Okay. I've had a couple of those and they're just out of this world. Oh, I bet. Um, but, um, you know, it's, I always think about it when they release something new, you think I'm about- not rushing to buy it because it's like, okay, is this going to be something I've already smoked? Do you think that they're stupid enough to do that again? That's a good question. Considering the ego of the Davidoff Corporation, yes. Well, and it also bears mention, when that story broke, it was basically, it was, um, what's his name in Florida? Um, Yeah, Jeff. Jeff Borowitz. No one picked it up. Right. Half Wheel didn't pick it up. Aficionado didn't pick it up. So the two questions I have, was it legit? Was was his gripe actually substantiated enough that it actually bears us remembering? Because they never commented on it. None of the publications felt like it had enough legs to run a story on it. Or, if it was, do you think they feel like they have the power that they could get away with it again? 
That's the question. Now, this has got an MSRP of 18 bucks. Mm-hmm. When you're asking me to spend 18 bucks for a cigar, you're that's a big ask. Yeah. So, uh, I just, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to be able to pull the trigger on this or not. You know, I don't smoke many $18 cigars anyway. So, I don't think this will be something that I rush out and get anyway. But you're right. I, I didn't really, I never boycotted avo on the heels of what they did but it is certainly just like you every it pops in my mind every time i see avo i think about what i think about yeah i guess it just leaves a bad taste in my mouth so this is a pretty short article and not a lot of details placencia suffers fire at facility in nicaragua on saturday night the placencia had a fire and that's such a weird way to put it suffered a fire you either <laughs> have a fire or you don't. You don't suffer a fire. <laughs> pain is pain is mandatory. Suffering is optional. Um, in o- Ocotal, Nicaragua. And this is according to La Radio Nueva Ya. Okay, on your side. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they claimed... You couldn't st- look up how to say that in Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> I probably could have, but... Yeah. <laughs> What, what can I say? You did all the rest of the prep work. I guess I could have taken that. <laughs> yeah, we, we need somebody skilled in Spanish. Um, they claimed a structure that contained boxes of cigars before a local firefighters were able to put it out after battling it for two hours. Best smelling house fire ever. Oh, yeah. The, the firefighters just sat there <laughs> and, and enjoyed their cells. They could claim secondhand smoke. <laughs> yeah, they probably, but they're firemen. You're going to get secondhand yeah. smoke. That's kind of that kind of comes with the territory. But Avo, you know, that or not Avo, Placencia. They Placencia provides tobacco for everybody first and foremost. Mm-hmm. They're if not the top, maybe Agonorus Leaf provides a little more tobacco than them, but they're in the top. Aurora Farms is up there too. Yeah. So anyway, and they have facilities everywhere. So just one of them burns, and that's. What made me think of this was, you know, um, Jack Daniels. Have you ever done the tour at Jack Daniels in Lynchburg? I've actually not. Um, They talk about how they keep all of their whiskey in different warehouses and different barns and all of that stuff in order to, in case there is a fire, not have to, um, not have all their eggs in one basket, so to speak. But that was something I thought was interesting. They mentioned production facilities in both Nicaragua and Honduras, and the reason they do that, and they deal with the inefficiencies that this system creates simply for this reason, and that it's not going to have a huge impact to to production, at least not right away. Yeah, we're not going to feel it. You know, um, Caldwell had a big fire and lost a bunch of cigars, and actually one of the reasons they canceled one of their cigars, I was talking to the rep, and they actually had to cancel one of their lines of cigars because they lost all their wrappers. Yeah. So that was a much bigger deal than this is. But it made me think of Jack Daniels, and this made me think about this article that I wanted to talk about. So Jack Daniels, this is from The Guardian. Jack Daniels' facility blocked as whiskey vapor blamed for the spread of fungus. Now, I've seen this on the news a couple of times, and I've read this article about it. Um, when you put whiskey in a barrel, a certain amount of it evaporates. Yeah, that's they call called, it the angel share. Right, the angel share. And now local people, a local wedding venue is seeking to sue because of the fungus. All right, here comes the pronunciation. Badoyanania campionansis. 
nailed it. Um, <laughs> is a familiar black fungus that grows in the vicinity of barrel houses, which rely on wooden casks. So they're saying that these wooden casks and this alcohol is fueling this fungus, and this wedding venue next to them is saying that it's costing them $10,000 a year in pressure washing and cleaning so, to keep that at bay. Speaking of being a bit of a renaissance man, I have a relatively close to an expert level understanding of fungus and mold uh, by virtue of what I used to do for a living. This doesn't make sense to me. This doesn't add up. So fungus mold is ubiquitous. It's floating around us as we speak. Indoor, outdoor, unless you're in a clean room, you've got fungus in the air around you. This particular fungus that they're talking about feeds on alcohol, which is why it's prevalent around barrel houses. Once it aerosolizes and sporulates and goes airborne and travels to the neighboring vicinity, unless you've just got a whole bunch of whiskey setting out uncovered in open barrels, there's nothing for it to feed on. So to claim that the fungus that they're dealing with is inherently a result of this doesn't make sense to me. It's probably mildew. We live... A lot of people don't realize this, but this area of the country where we live in Middle Tennessee gets more rain per year than Seattle. We live in a very wet climate. And especially in the heavily wooded borderline rural areas around Lynchburg, you've got a lot of shade. You've got a lot of tree cover. You've got a lot of stagnant air around buildings. That's why homeowners associations make you pressure wash your house every couple of years. Right. Because it just develops this sort of thing. I don't I don't see how you can say specifically that the fungus that they're experiencing on their most likely rustic buildings is the result of what Jack Daniels Distillery is doing. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. I hope Jack Daniels retains a, a mycologist to help uh combat this lawsuit yeah and okay this wedding venue you know i look at it this way if i bought a house on a golf course i wouldn't complain about golf balls landing in my yard hitting my windows hitting my house hitting my roof that's part of living on a golf course nobody nobody buys a house on the golf course without the expectation of catching a few errant golf balls That seems to me, especially if you're on the right side of the fairway. And they built this wedding venue. They knew the fungus was there before they built the wedding venue. Do you think they did? Oh, had to. If they didn't, they're they're doing poor planning. But is... So, I, I don't think this would fall under any sort of required disclosures. I mean, how common knowledge is it? I didn't know about this. That there's a particular fungus associated with whiskey production. And that it can potentially, and, and I just, I, I just read down here that uh, Christy Long, who brought the lawsuit, she is suggesting that air ventilation systems to block ethanol vapor seeping from the Jack Daniels plant is what needs to be put in place. So she's claiming that ethanol escaping into the air is what's causing, giving them something to feed on. 
the amount of ethanol that that escapes out of a whiskey barrel is n- not that much. Ethanol is lighter than air. Ethanol is a highly volatile compound. And when you talk about escaping into the air, it becomes, what, one part per trillion at the absolute most? Right, because not only do we have rain, we have wind. Yeah, there's there's no... And like I said, ethanol's lighter than air. It's, it's going to go up. It's not going to settle. It just doesn't... But... So all of that to say, I still don't think this is something, it, let's say her claim is legitimate. I don't think that's something that you expect or have to know about when you build that property. Well, here's the thing. If this fungus is a problem to her five miles down the road from the you know barrel houses, then the barrel houses should be covered in fungus, shouldn't they? Right. And it would look like Jack Daniels would remediate that fungus just on their own. Exactly. They wouldn't just let it grow wild. So obviously, it's not a big enough problem that Jack Daniels has had to address it. I guess if I was going to, from her point, try to make a case that this is happening, I would want to subpoena, okay, what does Jack Daniels have to do in fungus control on one of their barns a year? Exactly. But even then, I can't sue my neighbor when, when he finds mold in his house. You know, because it might result in more mold in my house. And that's exactly, that's essentially what she's trying to do. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I'll say the, the concept of a whiskey fungus is interesting, but I don't know that it's necessarily a lawsuit-worthy endeavor. Yeah, I don't either. At all. So tell me about your what wouldn't say. It was good. Um, I smoked through it pretty fast tonight. But um, very much that... That really rich sort of like black coffee, bitter, dark cocoa kind of flavors that I really like. I know you like a little bit more spice. So this this doesn't have a lot of spice notes. So I can see why it's more my palate than yours. Uh, it's, a, it's a six. You know, I'm guilty of not giving Perdomo the credit they deserve. Mm-hmm. I'm guilty of saying they're good. And I, but I always try to say... They're always a good cigar. Right. They're just never great. This is about as close to great as Perdomo gets. I've had the ESV, which is their super exclusive, mm-hmm. and it was a, the only Perdomo I've had that's any better than this. Okay. But this is the 12-year-old Sun Grown. It's been excellent, and I actually reach for Perdomo more often in this humidor than you would think just because they have the size. Yeah. You know, they have the 6.5 by 56 Churchill that I really love that Vitola cigar. So I'll reach for them more often based on their size rather than their flavor. But it's been excellent. I mean, it's a six all day long. Awesome. And uh, how do they get a hold of us? You can reach us at facebook.com slash the cigar cast. We're on Instagram and Twitter at the cigar cast and email info at the cigar cast.com. Well, thank you everybody for listening to us this week until next week. Have a great cigar and think well of us. (laughs) 